Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Open Network User Group Podcast. I'm Mark Tierney. I'm ONUG CTO. And today we're going to continue the ONUG C-Level Series, Driving the Hopper, a Hyper Automation Narrative uh, through Collaboration. But before we get going and before we connect with our important guests, uh, listen up. ONUG Fall 2022, it's going to be fantastic. It will be a hybrid event, but we are going to be in New York City, Center 415 on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, October 19th and 20th. It's going to be a great event. The spring conference was great. This event is going to be great. So come join the owner community of global 2000 companies, enterprise architects, cloud providers, thought leaders, as we demonstrate the tenets of multi-cloud. Listen, we're going to have some things that we did at spring that we're also going to do at the fall conference, live demonstrations in the orchestration and automation uh, area, as well as in the network cloud pavilion. So those are things you really want to check out. Uh, we'll be talking about some of that stuff, quite frankly, today uh, with our guests. And uh, yeah, check it out. Go to onug.net to register for the event. Do it today. Why not? Why wouldn't you do it? And you can use a promo code. I'll give you a promo code, Mark's Podcast, and you'll get a 30% discount for doing it. So come join us at Onug Fall 2022. All right. Joining me today for the podcast, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to this because I haven't met Vest before. But I can tell you that Client is uh, a real leader in the orchestration automation space. Uh, so we really appreciate their contributions to the discussion. And the discussions are always about how we enable the enterprise, right? That's what we do. And Client is a big part of that discussion. So joining me today is Vess Bakaloff. He's the CEO of Client. Vess, welcome to the Onug Podcast. How are you doing, sir? Thank you, Mark. I'm very much looking forward to this. Yeah, I mentioned to you in the, you know, as we were prepping, uh, you know, Dave, uh, I won't go into last names, but Dave from uh, Pliant, he's on the ONUG uh, working group, uh, orchestration automation, such a powerful voice. Um, it's really, I don't know, one of the, you know, one of the, one of the most powerful things about ONUG and working together in these collaborative environments is, uh, you know, the voice that uh, suppliers bring to the conversation and Dave and Pliant in general, like, you know, part of that conversation you know, we really appreciate your involvement. It's it's great. So thanks a bunch for that. It's a lot of fun. And I know that you haven't seen me in person there, but I have been involved behind the scenes quite a bit with what Dave has shown. And certainly he's done a great job representing our vision. So um, I very much believe in the mission of ONAC. It's very important to have these collaborative spaces, right? Where we all meet, it's all on a level field. You know, you can be a smaller company like Pliant, you can be a huge company. And um, you, we sort of get to explore technology. We get to explore the problems and come up with some pretty cool solutions. I mean, that solution, th those demos, I always look forward to watching those. They're always really, really valuable, you know, and you're solving real yeah, problems. Yeah, and it's, it's really impressive to, to see these companies. They're very deferential to one another. You know, we, you know, are able to maintain a lot of, uh, you know, vendor agnostic kind of positions as we just are trying to push forward concepts and we're going to talk about one of those concepts today the the hyper automation hyper automation concept but before we do vest give uh give the audience a little background tell us tell us about tell us about vest where you've been and uh how you got here sure so i am um an old school network guy i guess now <laughs> it's i used to be a young network guy now i'm an old network guy but uh, my career started with a small select where we did dsl back in 99 we were one of the first mid-Atlantic CLEX uh, to do it. And then I transitioned and became a network architect for um, First USA slash Bank One slash JP Morgan Chase as those acquired each other. 
Uh, and then in 2005, I left the corporate world um, with the mission to build a scalable and fast network performance management system. And that's where SEV1 came to be. So I was very frustrated with some of the existing solutions at the time. I didn't feel they're fast enough for what I was doing at JP Morgan. So ultimately built that. Uh, that was an amazing journey. Um, 12 years later, uh, I left. And um, a year and a half after that, started Pliant. And the idea was, look, we have wow. observability. Observability is great. We've solved a lot of those problems. They're never solved forever. And there are some amazing companies at Onak today doing some really interesting things in that space. Uh, but um, I really felt that the next step is to go ahead and create, shall we say, the thousand fingers for the thousand eyes. So how can we go out there and start actuating change in... Um, a, a, in a controlled enterprise way with governance, with speed, with agility, and really bring that dream of, you know, you know the hyper automation. How do we connect the data to what needs to happen? Yeah, well, uh, all right, so thanks for the background. And it's a, actually the perfect segue to get into the hyper automation discussion. So listen, I maintain all the time that, you know, you get Gartner or someone like Gartner dropping you know, dropping a you know relatively new terminology, or at the very least, getting some energy behind a particular type of terminology. There's always a scramble, a little bit of a scramble from uh, certainly suppliers, right? Uh, because no one wants to be left out and feel like you know they're not uh, satisfying a you know a new need or a feature uh, or functionality that uh, you know their competitors are are dealing with. But also, you know, long time ops person on the consumer side best i always uh you know feel that we've had the same pressure on the consumer side too you know the executive teams want to know what are we doing with this tech are we you know what are we what are we going to get out of this tech and you know being properly prepared and informed to answer those kinds of questions because you don't want to go uh you don't want to go chase the the latest shining object if it's not going to deliver value to uh to your business and that's a big part of what we do at at Onug is, you know, try to understand the narrative and in certain cases, jump in the middle of the narrative and help drive it. Right. Exactly. Um, that's a, that's a big part of what, what, what we do. So uh, people don't get lost in the hype. So why don't we start there? Um, maybe you've got some just general opinions about hyper automation uh, that uh, you feel like is important for our audience to hear. Yeah. I mean, again, I think uh, hyper automation is one of those things that, pretty uniquely fits in the ONUG uh, purview because it's all about interconnecting systems together, right? And you're right, uh, just like you said, it's the latest shining object is only as valuable as the decisions and the value it helps us drive into our organizations. So whether you're a supplier like us and you're trying to create uh, a product that fits the market and obviously fits the marketing as well, um, or you're a, supply, uh, you're a consumer who needs to bring the newest technology in order to stay competitive within the core business of their organization, it's important to understand each of those terms is very hyper-loaded. You know, even if you look at the Gartner definition of hyper-automation, it goes from AI through packaged software with some business process management in the middle, right? So it's a, it's, it's a big, broad field. So we have to frame it. We have to contextualize it. And like those demos you guys put together uh, around specific use cases that really helps with these kind of contextualizations. But um, 
to give you sort of the broader uh, vision at Pliant, uh, we have around them high pro-automation market and why we need this new market to be defined, to come into existence, really comes from what we have just gone through this roller coaster uh, of the past three years. Um, you know, you can't, I'm going to sound banal, but um, COVID changed everything, right? So the it way, did. yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the it obvious. Did. I mean, it, it, it absolutely did. <laughs> yeah, Captain Obvious reporting here. But uh, in, in many ways, it accelerated a lot of transitions that were underway. In many ways, it forced businesses to sort of face realities that may have otherwise taken a decade. Um, it accelerated the adoption of the cloud in multiple ways. Uh, if you think about it, there is two types of cloud for an enterprise. There is the cloud I own, which is sort of my data center transitioning to a cloud provider or even running my old data center as a cloud, you know, to my internal customers. And then there is the cloud of all the apps I'm consuming from the cloud as SaaS. You know, is it Slack? Is it Jira? Is it any number of... Is it Plaid, right? Or yeah, any no, one of those right. uh, other companies. So that cloud uh, no longer being a part of our uh, IT infrastructure as such, but being part of the uh, IT services we're responsible to deliver with high availability uh, around which our businesses are built now and very much rely on, that, uh, that cloud transition has just accelerated to light speed, right? And we have to adapt to this new IT and how it's being consumed. So you bring up change and there are, you know, all kinds of, you know, forces and force equalizers that are driving, you know, driving particular change. Obviously COVID was, uh, you know, a huge one. Mm -hmm. um, I continue to be impressed at how the industry responded uh, to, you know, almost to the point where, you know, some, some business executives were like embarrassed that they were doing well because of it. Right. Like, yeah. in other words, that, you know, propelled their business. And I was not your problem. Like you were you there and you were there and you solved the problem. That's awesome. Uh, a problem that certainly needed to be solved. Uh, but though many of those problems, certainly the focus uh, and goals, I, I feel like many of them were achieved. Uh, so it, it's interesting now as as, you know, we're uh, organizations are looking to um, now make different kinds of adjustments. Do we come back to work uh, mm -hmm. at the office or, or not, regardless of what those choices are? Uh, what are you seeing? And from your vantage point, where are you seeing focus in this hyper automation space? What, yeah. or, what are organizations prioritizing? Because you made the point in the, Gart in the Gartner paper, yeah. you made the point that there are several domains that they try to address. And when I look at it, it's a little daunting, quite frankly. Um, you know, so I think organizations tend to compartmentalize those things and say, let's go after this. Um, are you seeing that uh, from your vantage point that organizations are saying, let's focus on this particular space from a hyper automation perspective? Um, I'm sure that that's certainly the case. I mean, we all have budgets. We all have to prioritize spend in specific ways. And um, just the way the paper is written, the Gartner paper, right? You have uh, a lot of business units who will be touched by it. And I think different business units will prioritize differently. Like, right, we have RPA in here. And RPA, in the end of the day, it's the business guys who are going to have the most bang for the buck uh, for that particular technology. 
And then you have something like iPaaS, which is more like you know, where we are. And that's going to be a little bit more in the IT field. So we certainly see the drive to interconnect systems to allow for faster and easier communication uh, as being one of the fastest growing um, segments of the market. Now, if you think about it, commun you know, communicating with the rest of the organization in order to solve problems as they cross domains is something very important. And I was thinking this morning, actually, I was talking uh, with one of our other executives, how work has changed and the, the humble knock guy. You know, they used to sit in a room and I've been there myself and you have a big screen with all the red alerts and you communicate with each other because the new alert comes up and you're like, hey, Joe, uh, you want to take that one? Yep, I'll take that one. Good. Well, there is no big board. So what do we do? Right. We still have spectrum and everything else maybe running in the background. Sure, it's fine. But then I actually want to get a Slack message when that alert pops up, you know, I, because I am no longer sitting in that room and I want the rest of my team to get it. And I'm able to click on the Slack message and assign it to myself and create maybe a ticket in service now that I will take over that's assigned to me. And when I'm done, I need to, again, be able to communicate back through all these apps. So with COVID, we have increased the number of communication channels in order to allow for this remote work, right? My knock team is now global for all intents and purposes. Um, and being able to communicate with all of them, but keep coordinated, coordinated, uh, make sure that as we track our work, and again, in this global world, with across multiple systems, Jira and ServiceNow and app deployment, which has gotten so much more agile, right? So as networking guys and infrastructure guys, we now have to work hand in hand with our development brothers and sisters to make sure that uh, we can meet their expectations. And at the same time, they don't do something that's going to break yeah, us. Yeah. And, let's be, let, and let's, let's be honest. Let's be fair about it. I think, uh, you know, the network was, I don't know, dragging their feet's the right uh, word, but, you know, it, I think it took a, a little while for, uh, you know, net DevOps or dev net ops to catch up with, mm. you know, the rest of the DevOps community. I, I think um, that might be a little unfair, but, um, but that's what we do here. We call maybe, it like I see it. That's, maybe that's you, how we I work were, best. Yeah, we were victims of our own success. You know, it puts ITOM and some of these pretty heavy processes, and it reduced the number of breakages through changes, but it also makes you a little bit slower to adapt to change, like you were saying. One of the things that, that really resonates with me on, on, on you know, your description of, of you know, priority and focus is um, this idea around uh, you know, the, the, the person in the room they're so used to, you know, the paradigm is, you know, I get an alert, I get in a message, I need to consume it. Uh, but the reality is you have to do something with it. Right. And now I, I feel like this scale uh, is increasing dramatically. Mm. Some of it because of what's happening with DevOps. Some of it is because of the massive scale of security alerting, for example, that goes along with it. And so now we've got, you know, that individual who in the past was responsible for consuming uh, messaging yeah. and they just don't scale, right? That is correct. Yeah. Particularly when the scale involves taking an action. So I think this is where, you know, to me, uh, I want to believe that this is where the, you know, the next step of hyper automation is, is not only are we, you know, creating some uh, better visibility and discernment, and how we can how we consume the messages, but also now taking action uh, and actually 
making our our human resources much more effective because we're allowing our systems to make better choices and uh so i don't that's my sense of it I, yeah no thoughts? i think i think you're bringing up a great point um you know and i this was exemplified to me actually five years ago maybe i was at a docker conference and they talked about you know treating your servers at the time as pets versus as uh, a herd right your pet you know it by name you know you care about it versus having it being in a herd where it's a number it's ephemeral it's here today it's not there, it's not there it's not there tomorrow and a lot of that comes with the new way we even build applications right we're building microservices we scale smoothly uh, we add additional components to the cluster new nodes and we then we hopefully uh, downscale when the demand is lower now that actually is a very complicated thing right because again we brought up the point earlier about network moving a little slow but think about the change management process that we use in enterprises to make a change so now suddenly we're asking this organization that was beaten to submission to have magdis and all kinds of change requests and now we're saying you know what uh, we're just going to do this completely automatically no one is even going to improve it so there is a bit of a cultural shift. Um, so even as the technology comes in, there is the human element of us trusting that we can take our knowledge, our expertise as uh, network you know, experts and um, encode it into workflows that are going to do this 100 times faster with much less human error, you know, a thousand times more reliably. And there is, understandably, right some hesitancy like what does that mean for me what's going to happen to my job if i teach the router to make the bgp changes right right uh well the fact is there will there will be a new technology tomorrow and our architecture of the network is going to change you know we're going to transition from the 6500 cisco's to the nexuses and that was obviously a massive transition so, but we have to get to the idea of like, listen, we gotta be able to quickly teach our automation to do our job because otherwise we're never gonna scale. We're going to fail our businesses in what yeah, we're supposed I, to do. I, I take a very brutal approach to this and I'm an old guy. Look, Fess, I'm old, right? It just is what it is, right? And I used I to tell my, my, I used to tell my, te my teams all the time, yes, there is change. Yes, uh, hey, guess what? In technology, you better keep up, right? Uh, uh, and that's true no matter what. Uh, I mean, if you're competing with uh, you're competing with AI or you know whatever else is uh, coming up, you, you've got to stay current. You got to yeah. stay relevant. Um, and this is the relevant technology today. And you know, I, I, I would add to the, the you know the piece that you said about uh, you know the rate. You know, there's the rate uh, uh, of change that you know that's going on. Um, but I'd also say the volume of change has also, yeah. you know, gone up as well. This is everything that has to do with running an agile shop. If you're trying to be, you know, digitally transform your environment, then you're iterating, you're, you know, you're dropping more changes yeah. more often, and that's just volume of change. It, you know, your point, uh, the, the point you made about the change aspect of this, these are all things people have to touch. And, we, you know, we need less of that not more right so absolutely well and that's where you know i think what happens now the next step here as a, a supplier is the way we look at it it's about layers of abstraction that are easy for the organization to absorb 
right? So we need a layer of vendor independence. We need a layer of uh, cloud independence. Obviously, we can't just you know put all of your, our chips on the same uh, number and spin the roulette because you then become overly dependent on any single supplier. So this is where uh, having the ability to orchestrate end-to-end -end is very important. Again, not just from a technology, individual technology purpose, but from a business um, mission purpose. Like you know, And every business is different. A bank is going to have a different mission than a telecom. But at the end of the day, your technology needs to align behind how your business is uh, delivering value to its customers. So that's yeah. very important to think about. Yeah, I still, tend, I still tend to wrap all those things up. I mean, you know, business features, business functions uh, aside, you're still, you know, you're still trying to, the common point is I'm trying to improve those features. I'm trying to deliver new features. I'm trying to secure those features better than I did before, uh, you know, operationalize around them and drive down their costs. I don't care what company you're in. You're trying to do all those things. Yes. Uh, if you're not doing those things, then you're not participating in digital transformation. That's my hot sports opinion today. Yep. Uh, right. And you should be asking yourself, why aren't you focused on on doing that? Because <laughs> you're you're missing it. Right. I, I tell me where I'm wrong. No, I don't. I don't think you're wrong at all. I mean, if anything, I think that you should take it a step further. And as engineers, like I was saying, we should kind of think about what is it we're delivering? Because the more, more and more IT is an integral part of the product, um, whether it's internal billing, whether it is external billing as we deliver products to our customers, uh, connecting our processes with the business is going to make the whole thing work better. And that's, that I think is the promise of hyper automation, right? It's not just, hey, I'm going to perform my changes better. I'm going to respond to my alerts faster. But it's also like, how can I now connect to the, K the core KPI of the business to some extent? And when somebody, let's say, comes in and signs up for a new VPN connection or becomes a customer in some other way, as they make the change in the CRM, that already is provisioning the IT to support that new customer or that new service. And I yeah. think that... I think yeah, that's the that's next twenty suppliers, percent. Suppliers get this uh, better than the enterprise consumer, uh, in my opinion. I, you know, suppliers understand uh, better what their products are and uh, you know what product delivery means. Uh, at least the successful ones do. <laughs> uh, you know, enterprises need to, more and more enterprises, and many of them are, but more and more enterprises need to you know uh, shift to that same thinking. Uh, that sort of McKinsey, you know, model of product, right? Yeah, and digital uh, transformation, which you mentioned. Exactly right. Exactly right. Nice. Um, all right. Uh, so let's let's you know maybe take it from a you know different uh, different point of view. Do you think? Uh, do you think? You think anybody's out there chasing the wrong balls on hyper automation? I you know there's so much uh, in hyper automation that's uh, associated with or is being associated with uh, what companies are doing in AI ML? Are they doing too much, too little? Um, what uh, do you have an opinion? I'm sort of taking you, sorry, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit because we, no, no, we didn't actually prep for this, but uh, <laughs> do you think people are, uh, uh, have the right focus in, uh, in the AI space when it comes to hyper automation? Well, look, I think the, the one mistake that many folks, um, many practitioners make um and this is coming from dozens of conversations with friends as well as prospects as well as customers is um trying to build uh reinvent the wheel 
right? Oftentimes as engineers, we come into this new space and you're like, okay, I'm now doing programmable infrastructure, software-defined networking, whatever. Uh, let me start doing it. And oftentimes you're not really considering the solutions that are in front of you before you, you know, get your new toys and you start uh, building out in production, which is oftentimes where we see uh, the most people sort of fail and maybe get discouraged. Now, when it comes to AI and machine learning, I think these are very, very promising technologies. Um, again, machines are only as good as we're going to teach them. So this is where relying on models that are somewhat proven, uh, being able to have the internal process to feed your own um, understanding of your of your infrastructure to the models is what's going to make them successful. So there is interesting ways for us to incorporate AI and ML. I think more of it actually comes down to being able to understand tickets and direct actions better around even uh, sort of the English or whatever language we use. I mean, the human language within our tickets, uh, even to some extent more so than some of the data uh, from faults, for example, because I think that is maybe a little bit less predictable and taking automated action there may be a little bit more difficult, but I'm seeing some amazing things being done. So I am probably uh, wrong as, as I said that. Um, so I would say the main thing that folks really need to focus on is really try not to be sort of going to, and I encourage you to learn, by all means, learn and play in your lab, but going to Stack Overflow and pulling a few lines of Python is oftentimes not good enough for production. All right, I'm going to ask you, and this is the risk of being on a podcast with me. Go for it. You, you brought up data, right? Um, what, what in your estimation... And we can have a network bias if you want. That's fine. But in, in your estimation, are, wh where are enterprises missing it from a data perspective? Uh, you know, what are they what are they needing to fix uh, more often than not in um, you know in their data domain to have to have um, successful AI ML you know type of implementation. Do you have an opinion on that? And I know I'm taking you totally uh, by you know, surprise on this. So just curious, uh, you know, if you had a well, thought on it. Yeah, I mean that's definitely outside of client domain and everything else. But uh, just as a technologist, right? This is me take my sure, title sure. off Love and it. my company off. As a technologist, I think the most important thing is the post mortem on the tickets, because that is where we're going to learn. That's that's how the machine is going to learn what really happened. So having the ticket, fine. Having data about the ticket, getting the enrichment, and we've gone come a long way here. But you know, whether it's NetFlow, whether it's metrics data or log data, fine. That's important to associate it with the ticket. But then finally having the postmortem to be able to go back to and train the algorithm. Machines are only as good as the algorithm we train them with or the data we train them with. And you can't just show people the right, well, the problem, we never give it the error and hope that uh, give it the solution and hope that it's going to learn. Love it. All right. I can see right away I'm going to have to have you back on, uh, you know, <laughs> just just to talk about that topic, because I love to nerd out on the data side. So I'll uh, bring my CTO, by the way, who is uh, a bit of an AI geek. So Dimitar, nice. who is my CTO, is amazing at this game. So he would do a good nice. job. 
Yeah. All right. Let's make sure we do that. Okay. I want to get, so this has been great. I really appreciate it. I want to give you a little room. Tell us a little bit about what, what uh, Pliant is doing uh, in this space and uh, you know, how, how do you feel like Pliant is, uh, you know, going to address uh, hyper automation? I just want to give you a, a few minutes to talk about that. Sure. So yep. what Pliant does is um, we are an API orchestration and automation platform. So we have extremely high expertise in IT use cases, but uh, from that perspective, the platform itself, which is really an iPaaS uh, integration platform as a service, right, uh, can help you interconnect your applications with your IT in a true end-to-end -end kind of manner. So we can get data from your observability platform, you know, whether it's F1, whether it's Kentic, whether it's uh, MOOCsoft or any number of these pretty amazing platforms out there. Um, we can make decisions based on that, update tickets, um, then take automated action in certain cases when that's warranted. And of course, then uh, close out the tickets, etc. Well, keeping folks in the loop, we can alert you via your Slack, we can play with your service now, um, and create these end-to-end -end workflows. Pliant also comes with a very powerful API gateway, which allows you to expose many of these actions to your users, possibly programmatically. For example, I may not want my knock guys to ever log into my firewall, but I do want them to make certain, um, let's say, rule changes. I can create an API endpoint in Pliant that I can then publish to the enterprise that allows you to make that API change without having any other rights on the firewall and possibly messing it up. And there is many examples like that. Um, so from that perspective, it's a platform that allows you to do, like I said, end-to-end -end automation between apps, clouds, on-prem, off-prem, anything that has a CLI or an API we can talk to and make create these workflows in a tenth of the time that it would normally does. Thank you. So do you, uh, part of what you just said is sounds like policy enforcement. Is that... Um... Role-based access control, yeah. very powerful governance uh, in terms of logging the actions, uh, powerful um, logging of outcomes. Because again, oftentimes people start writing some automation and how often in your bash script or Python script do you include the library to send uh, the log message to Splunk to keep it tracked, right? So hmm. you pretty much don't or add right. role-based access control. Uh, you either have access to that uh, script or you don't. Or having uh, secrets management. Uh, is my passwords hard-coded in my script? Because that's not a great idea. Uh, so <laughs> all these... <laughs> we oh. laugh and that, that, that crap happens all the time. Sure, like, it's automation. You need right. to have access to it, but there are smart ways to have it encrypted in a key store, et cetera, et cetera, which comes for free when yeah. you use Pliant. Nice. Yeah. All right. Hey, listen, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time and, uh, you know, you know, projecting, uh, you know, your industry, uh, you know, leadership and knowledge around the topic. It's, uh, you know, it's helpful. And again, for, you know, the audience, it's just a, you know, example of what happens at ONUG. Uh, so thank you so much for being here with me today. Uh, what's the best Thanks, way Mark. for people to reach out to, uh, to Pliant? Just sure. Hit your I website. Mean, hit our website. You can see our community edition there. Um, hit me up. I'm Vess, V-E-S-S, at pliant.io. Always happy to engage. So looking forward right, to uh, talking to you again, Mark. Yeah, appreciate it. So uh, again, everybody, don't forget about uh, 
don't forget about Onug Fall, uh, 2022 in New York, October 19th and 20th in Manhattan. So uh, uh, go to onug.net to register. One of the things, though, also uh, just really encourage you to think about uh, joining the Onug Collaborative. And you can learn more about that at onug.net as well. Find out about all the different working groups that we have going on right now. So uh, so get involved. And um, thanks again to Vess. And we'll see you on the next Onug podcast. Thanks, everybody.